Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Four of you seem like you're doing moderately average. How's everybody doing? Come on, we get to be in church today. It's a good day to be excited. Hi, my name is Mark. Uh, my wife and I serve as the lead pastors here, uh, despite not coming to church all summer. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's good to have you here. Good to have you with us. Good to have you joining us online. Good to have you listening in on the podcast, whatever you might be doing. We're just glad that you are excited to hear God's word. Amen. So uh, we are, we are kind of diving back into the Gospel of John. We've been in this series for a while, took a break over the summer, but we're kind of getting back into it. A um, couple quick things I'm just reminding us as we do this. The first is uh, just by way of sort of uh, reminder slash introduction, if you weren't here last week, uh, the Gospel of John is an account of the life of Jesus from what we believe is probably his closest earthly friend, a guy named, shocker, John. Uh, John wrote this, this, this eyewitness account. John was there for these events. He said he wrote it that we might believe, and so we've taken a, a lot of time to, to try to mine out, dive in, and extract all of the goodness from the text, amen? We've taken our time, we've really tried to marinate and saturate in the revelation that God brings to us through his word. And as such, it's taken us um, a few weeks to get to John 17, or a few years. Uh, and what I'm warning us about, what I'm trying to let us know, is that the pace as we move into John 18 through 21 is going to increase exponentially. So I say that for two reasons. If you're here and you absolutely love the like slow pace that we've been making our way through John, I'm sorry, it's about to get real, real fast and we're about to go real, real quick. If you've been, you know, frustrated with the pace, you're welcome, we're gonna speed up now. So uh, the reason for that is, is not because I'm bored teaching through the book of John, it's not that at all. It's actually the fact that the last few chapters of the book of John represent a f the, the last few hours in the life of Jesus, and I don't want us to miss the pace at which these things take place. It was important for me when G John was trying to show us Jesus for us to take time to see the picture that John was trying to paint for us, but now I want us to see the picture of just how quickly, come on, his, his trial, his death, his burial, and yes, how quickly, come on, his resurrection took place. So it's gonna increase quite quickly. Um, and so because of that, I wanna make sure that we don't lose sight of the big picture. And so what we've done is we've set aside three weeks here to sort of recap and re-enter. We've asked three questions of the Gospel of John. We're gonna answer one each week. The first is why in the world did Jesus come? Like why, why did Jesus have to arrive here? And we, we studied that out, we saw it last week. This week, we're gonna be answering the question, how did Jesus accomplish his mission in coming? And then next week, we're going to talk about what it actually means to believe this thing. What does it mean when John says he wrote his account that we might believe? What does he mean by believe? Is it just trusting in some fantasy fairy tale? Is it acknowledging the historical accuracy of something? No, what, what is it? We're going, to, we're going to discover that. We're going to dive into it together. If you've got your Bibles, though, let's go ahead and get to work in John. We're going to go to John chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses... 1 through 14, roughly, we're going to jump over a few of them that, that, that'll help us just kind of keep the, the focus where it needs to be. But, but let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. We like to stand when we read the Bible because we just want to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. No, it's for all of you Apple Watch wearers, so you get your stand-in right now because I'm going to talk for more than an hour. Um, that one wasn't a joke. Uh, before we get to John, though, what I want to do is I, I want to I actually read a few other verses. And we stand to show honor, respect, and reverence for God, come on, in giving us the good gift of his word. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to do before we get to John 1. You just hang out in John 1. Don't worry. You went to the right place. I, I worry sometimes that uh, in church we forget the joy, the beauty, the gift that it is to get to read God's word for ourselves. I had a pastor once tell me that having the Bible read to you is like chewing somebody else's bubble gum. The, the action's the same, but the sensation's totally different. And so, uh, so I want us to read the Bible together. Can we read the Bible together? Yes. Yes. If you don't like to read, just mouth along and no one will even notice. 
Let's go ahead and lift our voices and let's read God's word together. I'm not going to preach expositorily from any of these verses. I just want to get them in your brain. So I figure if you read them, they'll stick in your brain, brother. So Colossians 1, 15, let's read together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Next, we've got 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Back to Colossians 2, 8 and 9 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And last but absolutely not least, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the mighty on high. Come on. Can we say amen? amen. All right. Now let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, then we're going to skip over 6, 7, and 8 and grab it at 9. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. Everybody say the Word. word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, how many things? All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, come on, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who's excited to be a child of God? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Big understanding verse for us here, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can we thank Jesus for his word this morning? Come on. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word. God, we receive what we have heard as, as you speaking to us, not as just some religious text written thousands of years ago by other people, but rather your revelation to us to train us and teach us to hear you, Jesus, speaking to us. So we come to your word expecting to encounter the word. We want to encounter you this morning, God. We thank you for your presence with us as we exalt you, and we thank you, God, for your presence as we encounter you in your word. God, we ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, and yes, God, feet to obey. Let what we receive from you today do its full and good and complete and total work in us, transforming us, not by modifying our behavior, but by delivering us from stupid ideas ridiculous notions about who you are, erroneous assumptions about how you feel about us, falsehoods about who you've created and called us to be. Let us be free in you today, God, by your word, for your glory, and for the good of all people, that we might fill the earth, and yes, God, even all of the cosmos, with your image. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. come on, all God's people said, Will you greet somebody, high-five them real fast, and grab a seat? Amen, amen. good day to be in the house, isn't it? It's a good day to be gathered together. Uh, any day when the church buy, gets a coffee truck to show up after church and give you free coffee, that's a good day, amen? 
It's a great day to be here. Uh, by way, by, by, just to be totally transparent, that is us bribing you to find a class, to join a group, to serve somewhere. That's, that is just, just, just all cards on the table. We are bribing you. Uh, no, but really, really, it's, it's our chance to try to connect as a family. Those are just ways that we try to help people connect um, and, and get plugged in. So head on out there after service and, and, uh, and do that. But for now, let's, let's make sure we get through what God's given us to do today. I want to talk to you this morning. If you're taking notes, I hope you are uh, under the title Light. Last week, we talked about darkness. This week, we talked about light. I told you last week that this sermon would be better than last week's sermon. Because how many of you know it's better to talk about the solution than talk about the problem? Does anybody want to email that to every news outlet in America? Let's talk about solutions, not problems. Uh, we're gonna, we, get to, we get to focus on the solution this morning. We get to talk about the solution. I want to talk about light as an unexpected invitation. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time recapping last week. I, I'm not trying to boost YouTube or, 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 uh, or our podcast numbers, but if you missed last week, by all means, go back and listen to it if you want to have a better understanding of, of, of the Bible's presentation of the human problem. This morning, I want to talk about the solution that is Jesus, but just to make sure we all grasp this, Jesus comes, the Bible says, as, as, the, as the light that frees us from darkness. Jesus comes as the light that frees us from darkness. Darkness, darkness has nothing to do with physical darkness. When the scriptures speak of darkness in John and as it permeates into other books of the Bible, that darkness literally means ignorance. Everybody say ignorance. ignorance. Now, I was, I was, I was uh, informed by a lovely person last week that ignorance is now an insult. To call someone ignorant is now to call, is, is supposedly uh, insulting to somebody. And I can understand where that would mean. I don't mean it insultingly. I mean it by what the word actually means. Unaware of something. Ignorant of something. We are ignorant. Ignorant of what? What does the scripture mean when it talks about our ignorance? It means that we are ignorant of the beauty, the majesty, the goodness, the truth, the reality of who God is. We are blind as it would be to the supernatural reality of our world and God's place in it. We are ignorant. This darkness then manifests itself. Where did it come from? How did it show up in us? Well, humanity was deceived. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You can read about it. We're not going to do that today. We were deceived. We were, we, were, we were sold a lie about who God is. We were told he was one way that is not the way that he is. And our first parents, Adam, and all of us, don't just blame your parents, all of us have bought into that same lie. By our actions, by our attitudes, by our affections, we've all, we've all proven that we believe this lie. So deception, this external deception, produced an internal delusion where now it's not just outside of us that things are presented to us that are false uh, ideas about God, but we internalize those things causing delusion. That deception and delusion work together to produce within us depravity. This is where, because of our erroneous assumptions and ideas about who God is, our attention our affection and our actions become contrary to who he is. This was so important that, uh, to me last week. It's important to me that we get this this week. So often, Christians, I love us, but come on, can I talk about our team? That's right, I'm going to do it anyways. But I, I want to just point out, Christian, we, we like to focus on the depravity part. There's whole camps of Christians that just want to teach you about depravity. I don't understand this. Not a root problem. Let me say it this way. Every sinful behavior in your life is tied to a wrong belief in your heart. I'll prove it to you as we, as we go on. But go back to last week and listen to it. I'll prove it to you then too. So deception and delusion produce depravity. Depravity, the way I described it, is like a tree that grew up within us and blocked out the light of God, thus producing death. So this is the problem. This is, this, this, is, this is where we find ourselves, but Jesus, come on, is the light that displaces all. How much? All, all of our darkness. Not by just, see, see, again, Christians, we want to talk about the death Jesus died. And come on, I, I need an amen from any Christians who are, who are grateful, thankful, and appreciative to Jesus for dying on our behalf. But, 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 but can we recognize that his redemption of us started way before the cross? See, this is why I wanted to spend so much time in John walking through all that Jesus did. Because some of us have this mindset that redemption is about the cross. No, the cross is a piece of redemption. It is not the whole thing. Jesus began to redeem us 
from the very moment of his incarnation by revealing to us who God is, thus dealing with, come on, the, the, the deception and delusion part. Yes, he climbed into all of the pieces of it, but he deals with the deception and delusion as the root of it. Jesus says the light displaces all of our darkness. He does this by literally climbing inside of our deception, delusion, depravity, and yes, ultimately even our death. He climbs into all of it, experiences all of it, takes on all of it, and dismantles it piece by piece in his goodness. He destroys the lies that led to our deception and our delusion. He does this simply by being and bringing the light of God into the human experience. And, and, and all light has to do to deal with darkness is show up. Okay, physics lesson. Darkness has no ontological existence. Darkness, technically, from a physics perspective, doesn't exist. Because light, okay, <laughs> I'm down the rabbit hole now. Light is actually photon particles. You didn't know you were going to learn about physics when you showed up in church today. You're welcome. Um, light is actually photon particles. There, there are particles that make up light. I say particles, and the reason I'm, I'm somewhat hesitant to say all this is because the deeper dive you go into physics, the more you find out we're not actually really sure if photons are particles or waves, and we don't really know what. There's a whole theory about around that. But we don't have time to get into that right now. But ultimately, light, our experience of light, is an increase in the amount of photons in any given space or time. That's all light is. Darkness, so, so dark, but what I'm trying to get you to, to see is this, is that as, as the, the number of photons in any given space or time increase, are you tracking with me? We perceive that as an increase of light. Darkness is simply the opposite of that. What I'm trying to get is, to you to see is this, there's no darkness particles. So, so when the photon particles show up, they don't, they don't have to get into like a sword fight with the darkness particles and we just hope that they win. But too many of us have the mindset that says when light shows up, we have to battle against darkness. No, we just simply have to actually be and bring light with us. So Jesus is light and he brings light into darkness and thus displaces all of the darkness by simply being. Because darkness, come on, has no substance. Apply that to all of the stupid ideas we are taught about God. They have no substance. There's nothing actually to them. Can I say it this way? They're a house of cards. They look solid, but one wrong jiggle and everything falls over. So Jesus comes and he does this on our behalf. He displaces all that. The incarnation is Jesus being and bringing light into our experience. It is Jesus, come on, increasing the number of photons in the earth. Are you tracking with me? So if darkness is ignorance of divinity and Jesus is the light of divinity displacing the darkness within us, then that means the incarnation is your invitation to repentance. I'm really glad like two of you said amen and some of you stared at your feet. Because it means I know I'm preaching to the right group of people. Because you see, see, some Christians think this. Well, repentance is that thing I did at camp where I cried and blew snot all over the altar. And come on, come on, come on. Some of us are grateful for those moments. Some of us are less grateful for those moments. But some of us, only, we only think of repentance in the bucket of confession, contrition, and change. For years, come on, I taught repentance. Amen to me if you've heard this. Repentance is, means to turn and go the other way. Taught that, I was taught that all the time. I taught that, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. This is going to be a little theme that'll run through, I think, probably this morning. That was something I was taught, but never actually learned from the Lord. A, a, a well-minded, good-intentioned preacher said it. It sounded good, so I ran with it. Can I get an amen from anybody who's ever had that experience before? But when you actually look up what repentance is in scripture 
The New Testament is written predominantly in Greek. When you look up the Greek word for repentance, it's metanoia. It literally means a morphing, a changing, an altering, a shift in the way you think. So the incarnation is an invitation to change the way we think about the most important thing we can think about, and that is who God is, what he is like, how he behaves. See, we pick up just ridiculous ideas, imaginations, and interpretations about who God is throughout our life. And Jesus comes as the incarnation and calls us to repent. It's an invitation, come on, not just for those who, 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 who don't know Jesus, but also maybe as much, maybe more, come on, for those of us who claim to know God, to stop and say, hey, is what I believe actually congruent with who Jesus is? It's an invitation for every one of us to embrace the reality of our limited view of who God is. Hi, my name's Mark, and I don't know everything about God. Some of you are like reaching into your wallets to take back your tie jack. If you don't know everything, I'm not gonna be here. Listen, I'm just gonna level with you. If some person gets up with a microphone and claims to know everything about God, that's the church you wanna leave. Come on. It's an invitation to embrace the reality of our limited view of God, to embark then on a lifelong journey of discovering the endless beauty in the revelation of God found exclusively in Jesus. Got to ask ourselves, am I willing to have all of my ideas about God brought into the light of Jesus and judged? And I want, I, want to be, I want to be really sensitive because I know that many of us have spent years, if not decades, doing, doing, doing work trying to build up an, a picture and an image and an idea of who God is. Come on, you've gone to seminars, you've listened to sermons, you've read books, you've taken classes, you've done all these things to try to, to, try to grow in your Christian education. Come on, do I, have any, do I have any people that were raised in denominations? Come on, you had your Christian education hour. Come on, you went to it, you learned, you did the... Some of you were such nerds, you actually did homework from Sunday school. And you've built up this picture of God and you, you want to defend it. When I get up here and I say, hey, we need to be willing to, take, to do the work of bringing everything we believe and bringing it into the light. And you go, hey, hey, I've spent a lot of time. You say, preacher, are you asking me to just abandon all of that? Yes. Are you asking me to, 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 be, to rethink all of the classes, the books, the, the seminars, the sermons, the things, the, the experiences I've had? Are you asking me to, to, to abandon all those things? Uh, yes. Are you asking me to be just totally untethered in my thinking and just kind of around everywhere? No. <laughs> yes, I'm asking us to be willing to say that maybe, maybe, maybe even good intentioned people showed us wrong pictures of who God is. Maybe, maybe, maybe we are just as dumb as we think we are. And we've come up with some stupid ideas about who God is ourselves. Come on, on my best day, I don't need somebody else to give me a bad picture of God. I'm fully capable of drawing a stupid picture of him myself. I'm perfectly capable of looking at just the experiences I have in my life and just saying, well, that just be, must be who God is. But no, I'm not asking us to be untethered. What I'm asking us to do is to anchor ourselves solely to Jesus and let him be who the scriptures say he is, the image of God. Amen. To be everything that God has revealed about himself to us. Listen, listen, let me, let me try to simplify. To not edit out the things we don't like or add in the things we want to be there. But simply let him be who he is. And yeah, that means exposing sometimes like, oh, I always thought this was who you were. 
And now I'm seeing it's not. And sometimes those things are, we rejoice over them, right? Wow, well, I always thought you were this way. Like, here, here's, I'll just confess one of mine. For, for decades, for probably the majority of my walk with Jesus, I believed in a duality. I believed God was a, that, that, that it, within the Trinity, that there was a good cop and there was a bad cop. Some of y'all are just looking at me like you don't know what to talk about and you're all liars. Like we all love Jesus. He's sweet. He has feathered hair. He pets sheep. He plays with kids. He's awesome. I hope when I pray, I get him. And then there was the father who was just angry, furious, and mad. He was, he was Old Testament God. That's what I thought. He was Old Testament God. Old Testament God to me was like the junior high boy who grew two feet, you know, between seventh and eighth grade and just showed up to church or showed up to school with his chest puffed out looking to throw down with somebody. Just hoped somebody looked at him wrong because he knew now he could eat anybody. I thought that's who God was. And I thought, I thought one God is this way. And Jesus just stepped between me and angry God. And angry God beat up his son so he didn't have to beat up me. That's what I thought for, for, for the vast majority of my Christian life. And I built whole theological frameworks around that. And when God began to expose those things, here's what I need you to see. The reality of that was not always fun. I had to admit the thing that, 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 that I don't like to admit. I know you love to admit it because you're just way more mature than me and you're just awesome, but I don't like to say, I was, I was, I was wrong. I was wrong. Especially, especially I don't like having to say it when I have recordings of myself saying something else. And I have to get up and go like, yeah, that thing I said before, it was not right. But you said it with such conviction. No, I, here, here, here's, I want to be really clear about this because I had some questions come in through email uh, before I left the sabbatical on this. And I want to make sure I address this. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I never taught anything I did not believe to be the truth. But that does not mean that everything I have taught was actually the truth. I taught the image of angry God, nice God, nice God stepped between me and angry God, and thank God that nice God won the fight. I thought, I thought when I was young, really young Christian, I thought Carmen's song about Jesus and Satan getting into a boxing match was like in the Bible somewhere. It's not. Jesus and if Jesus got in a boxing match, they did have one showdown. It ended with Satan running away with his tail between his legs and Jesus not lifting a finger. Okay, that's, that's the only, it's right, right. They didn't need to get in a box. The cross is not Jesus duking it out with Satan. As much as some of y'all loved Carmen in the 80s, and I know a lot of you did. Um, that's not the way it went down, right? I never taught anything I didn't believe, but, but come on, we have to be willing to say, God, will you expose those things that aren't true? Because I would rather believe the truth than say what I believe is the truth. That's easy to say amen to, and really hard when God starts to unbraid everything you believe. So Jesus then, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us through the Holy Scriptures with brothers and sisters who are committed to doing the same thing to see just Jesus. Amen? You don't need to do it alone. You don't need to do it in isolation. You need to do it with others. Why? Because Jesus shows us who and how God is. So here's what I did. I'm going to do this super, super quick. Um, I, just took, I just took about an hour uh, this week, and I just, I just read John, John chapter 1 through about John chapter 14, 15. And just with a, with a pen and a paper, just kind of wrote down, what is Jesus showing us? And as I looked through that list, what I saw was that John actually addresses in just this quick, I could have gone much deeper and done more, but this was just a quick once over. John actually gives us specific examples and specific stories and specific teachings and specific interactions of Jesus that begin to dismantle for me some of the most common errors I hear, I have, I encounter about who God is. So what I want to do real quick is just walk through these super, super fast. If you're a note taker, you're going to have to write quick. If you have a phone, you want to take pictures, cool. Otherwise, go watch it on YouTube. You can screenshot. It's really easy. Um, so here's one. God is a dis distant, disinterested deity. Anybody ever believe that? He's a far off God in the sky. Well, Jesus shows up and draws near. So proves that that's wrong. God is, uh, only wants to condemn me. I believed this for a very, very, very long time. Jesus is only interested. He's, I, I confuse, I often say this, I confuse the God of the Bible with Zeus, right? That he was up in heaven with lightning bolts just waiting to, to, to hit me. I like to make sure we're clear on this. Our God does not hit people with lightning bolts from heaven. He uses fire. So, um, 
I thought God only wanted to condemn me. What does Jesus show us? Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away our sins. God doesn't care about how I live my life. Oh, God's just a distant, distant. You know, He really doesn't care about my normal, everyday behavior. I can live however I want. God loves me anyways. It doesn't really matter. Really, because Jesus comes as a rabbi. Rabbis literally are those who invited people to be with them so they can be like him. We are called to be with Jesus so we can be like Jesus. Um, here we go. God is just another spiritual teacher, right? It's just one more spiritual teaching. We can just kind of pick and choose. It's like a buffet. No, Jesus is the great teacher. He teaches the teachers in the gospel of John. Uh, God is motivated by anger, really, because John 3.16 tells us that Jesus came because of love. Come on. That's good news. Amen? Uh, God is repulsed by my brokenness. He draws away from my brokenness. No, 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 no. Jesus calls the outcast, touches the leper, heals the sick, and restores the broken. Uh, God is an unknowable mystery, right? We got all these people that do, well, God's just like a, just an impersonal force. He's like the force in the Star Wars. No, 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 no. Jesus comes and shatters our fairy tales and he vanquishes all of our vague spiritualism. We see this in, in Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. This guy has all these, there's like an angel that's going to come down. He's going to stir up the bubbly water. And if I get down there quick enough, I get healed. And Jesus is like, you want to just skip all that mess and just be healed? Let's just be healed. God is an unknowable, impersonal force. I hear this one all the time from all my friends that wear crystals around their neck. Uh, no, Jesus is relational. Everywhere he goes, he's hanging out with people. He's very knowable. Amen. God is unable to meet my tangible needs. Sure, he's good for spiritual stuff and maybe to help with my addiction, but my practical problems, he can't do that, really, because Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds the crowd. Well, God is just humanity trying to figure out creation and the universe and all the forces of, of reality, really, because Jesus, come on, is master over his creation. He walks on water. He calms storms with a word. Dude, he freaking teleports a boat from one place in the water to the other side of the lake. Where is, Jesus said, whatever he does, we can do more. Where is that gift when I want to go to Seattle? <laughs> or better yet, Hawaii. Um, God abandons us in our weakness. I hear this all the time. People suffering. God has abandoned me. No, 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 no. Jesus comes to the aid of the weak. Here's one that I'm, I'm going to throw out because this is one I hear often from people today. God hates women. Hey, oh, religion, come on, here's how, you've heard it too. Religion is oppressive to females. It's just this oppressive regime. It's just a patriarchal system that just tries to keep women down. So let's dye our hair purple. Um, I don't know how that helps, but it seems to. What I love about the Gospel of John is, is he shatters this. Jesus frees the woman at the well from her bondage of her past. He defends the woman caught in adultery. I often say, women are the upgrade. They are the 2.0 version. He made man when I can do better. God wants us to follow him in blind faith. You ever heard this one? Just, you just have to just trust and believe in blind faith. No, Jesus restores the sight to the blind. Come on, somebody. God just comes to establish religions. God's just all about religions. Well, Jesus disrupted religion at every turn. People that got the most frustrated with Jesus were the most religious people. God doesn't want us... To get too extreme, though. On the other end of that, we go, well, well, well God doesn't want to get too extreme. He, you know, he doesn't like fanatical religious people. That is so not true. Jesus accepted extravagant, sacrificial worship that made those around him uncomfortable. As a woman wastes her life savings on the feet of Jesus. He loves it when we get extreme. God is separate from political authority. God has nothing to do, we hear, with, with our policy. You should keep your church out of my, out of my court, out of my, out of my thing. Well, well, Jesus, I love this. Jesus enters Jerusalem as her rightful king. There's even some historians I've read that believe that when Jesus comes in in the triumphal entry was the same moment that, that the, the ruling class would have been entering Jerusalem from the other side of the city. And what does Jesus do? Steals their crowd to come welcome him in. Why? Because he's the one that rightfully rules and reigns. Amen? God isn't a servant. He just sits up in heaven and demands us to do things. No, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Last but absolutely not least, we say God demands laborious service. I have to do all this stuff. There's lists of rules and I have to do all this stuff. And if I like it, it doesn't count. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We, we, many of us believe, we, we laugh at it because we've believed it. 
Right? Like you think if you go out there and sign up to serve somewhere, the only places that count is if you serve somewhere that you'll just be miserable the whole time. No, we, our heart here as Sozo is for you to find the place where your gifts, come on, and your passions intersect. In contrast to believing that God demands laborious service, Jesus calls us to rest in him. Come on, Jesus calls us to rest in him. Here's, here's a list, I'm not going to read it, a list of all that Jesus is. That's just all that stuff. I want to read this though. In the person of Jesus... We discover a God who isn't afraid of our brokenness, but draws near to us, takes away our sin, and shows us how to live because he loves us. We see a God who is beyond fairy tale and fantasy, one who is deeply relational and infinitely personal. A God who by his very nature is personal enough to meet our daily needs while also being powerful enough to rule over all of creation. In every word and in every deed, Jesus shows us how divinity reaches for the weak, loves the oppressed, and confronts the one who seeks to exploit those in need. He is the God who restores sight to the blind, confounds the religious, and welcomes the lowly to pour out all they are at his feet. God is a God. Jesus is God. And as such... He is the preeminent one over all powers, authorities, rulers, and dominions. Yet he is the first among the servants as well and cares personally for those he loves. In Jesus, we discover a God who calls us to take a deep breath, rest, and trust that he is working all things for our good. Can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. This is who Jesus is. My hope in showing you this is that you hear it for yourself. See, we like to listen, come on, for other people. I'll, I'll give you an example. I've been on staff at churches. We don't do this kind of thing here as the, as the norm. Normally we just teach through books or passages or, or, or chapters of the Bible. That's, that's kind of our norm. But you maybe have been around churches that do like topical things where they like put things. And, and I've been at church, on staff at churches when they do that. And it's really funny that anytime you do like a topical thing on marriage, the wives take the best notes on the weeks talking about the husbands. And the husbands who don't even normally know how to write are able to take down like verbatim all the things in notes that their wives are supposed to do. We like to listen for someone else. I think this is especially true of Christians when it comes to erroneous views of God. We like to learn about other people's wrong views of God. Well, the Mormons teach this and the Jehovah Witnesses teach this and the liberals and the, and the Christian nationalists teach this. Yeah, yeah but where? are Where's our willingness to say, hey, you know, there's some messed up thinking in myself around these things too. And willing to, to look at this list and go, man, are there some things here that are still in here? You see, Jesus dismantles each and every piece of the lie we initially believed about God. The root of all the stupid things we believe about God comes from my summing up what the serpent told our first parents, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, 1 through 4, right? God is a no-good liar who withholds good from those he only claims to love. We talked about this last week, and I want to make sure we're clear on it. Every single piece, every single element, every single word of this is a lie. And Jesus proves this. Come on, Jesus proves this. He proves that it is false. He, the enemy says God hides good in what he says is bad. What, what do I mean by that? Well, the spirit in the scriptures would tell us to not behave this way, but if I do, I'll actually enjoy it. If I actually engage in this behavior, there'll be some benefit to me. If I take this thing that I didn't pay for, I get to eat it anyways and therefore enjoy it. Come on. If I look at this stuff on the internet, it will bring some sort of momentary pleasure to me, and that, that's worth it. If I lie and don't tell the truth, then I won't get in trouble for the thing that I didn't do. My boss said, Hi, what did you do with your, your work week this week? And I just make up stuff so that way I don't get yelled at. Because checking the internet and Amazon surfing all day was not a part of my job description. Come on. 
We believe that, if, that, that even though God says these things are bad and wrong and harmful to us, we think there's good hidden in them. Isn't this exactly what the serpent said? God says if you eat this fruit, you'll die, but really it'll make you like God. He says it's bad for you, but it's really good for you. He withholds good. He only claims to love us. Jesus comes and by his very nature, come on, he shows us that all of this is false. He does only good to those that he encounters. He only does good. He, he, he heals, he restores, he reaches, he teaches, he lifts up, he builds up, he frees. Yes, he confronts where there is error, absolutely. He is grace and he is truth. But he ultimately, come on, he always does good. Again, I've said this a few times already. Jesus climbs into our deception and our delusion. He took on our depravity and yes, even our death and he exposes them all as nothing. Come on, darkness has no physical existence. It's nothing. The most, the most that evil in an unseen realm, in an unseen realm can do to us is try to diminish what we know about God. Jesus comes to bring all of who God is to us. Jesus comes with the message of light and as the message of light. Read this last week. It's, what, it's, it's a verse that has, was really part of the catalyst for me of beginning to be willing to let the Lord unbraid everything I ever believed and take out all the things that are contrary to him. This is the life-giving message we heard him share and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. God is pure light. Here, here's a here's, here's fun Bible fact. You can read every gospel frontwards and backwards and you'll never hear Jesus say those words. What's John saying? He's saying in everything Jesus did, this is what we heard. There's no darkness in him. There's no deceit in him. There's no hiding. There's no withholding. There's no nothing. He is pure light. We couldn't even find one ounce of darkness. He was pure light. My invitation to us, I believe the incarnation's invitation to us is to dive into that light and let it permeate every fiber of our being. As we allow the light to access every area of our thinking, we are transformed, reborn, and made children of God. We see this in John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, come on, the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is that saying? Jesus invites you into unhindered, unrestricted, unlimited, unbounded intimacy with all of God. I want to make sure I, I, I thread this needle correctly. I am not encouraging us to do mental exercises in, in intellectual education to fix our doctrinal thinking. I'm inviting us to experience a God who can only be known through experience. Now, some of you... Some, some of you, um, come on, some of you are like, whoa, 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 don't, we don't want to be an experience. You don't want to be led by our experiences. We need to be led by the truth. Okay, here's a fun little nugget of fact. I, I'm, I'm going through all the books in my office because I don't need them anymore. And so I'm going through them and I'm shocked. I actually, for a while, I forgot I did this. I collected books. These are really funny to me. I collected books 
where there's this genre of books. Here's what it is. It's where there's a disagreement in Christianity. Let's say like, I don't know, something maybe a few people disagree on like the end times. Um, it's fine. When you all die, you'll agree with me. Um, uh, So what these books will do, maybe like the end times, or we'll talk about the atonement, or they'll talk about the gifts of the spirit. And what they'll do is they get super smart Christians who love Jesus, who have different opinions, and they have each of them write a book together, each presenting their own opinions, and then responding to the others. What does that mean? That means even if all, well, I'm, you know, brother, I just want to read the Bible, and that's all I want to do is just going to be, just, I don't want to be about that experience stuff. I'm just going to read the Bible, and that's it. You're going to bring your experience often called your perspective, even when you just read the Bible. We are experiential beings. Here's the problem. For too many of us, we treat our relationship with God like I think maybe husbands treated their relationship with their wives in the 40s. Just tell me the facts about yourself. I'll spend time with you when I want to. We, we want to we learn facts about God, but we don't want to actually have an encounter with him. Can I tell you why I think that is? Because the encounter is the thing that actually changes us. I can learn all kinds of data points about God. Come on, did I have, do I have anybody who went in the 80s? Come on, in the 80s and 90s collected baseball cards. My dad fully believed he was going to send us to college off of our, his baseball card collection. Okay, he, he literally, you know, somebody sold this, and that, right? On a baseball card, you can learn lots of facts about a baseball player. But you don't know them. Can I modernize this for some of us? Because some of you are just, this is going right up your head because you don't even know what baseball is. You can follow somebody on Instagram or TikTok or Flip Flop or whatever the newest, I don't even know anymore. I don't have any of the social medias because I'm not spiritually mature enough to be online. I'm not lying. I just, it brings out all of my demons. Because um, you get that many people together, and the amazing thing is you put that many people in a digital room together, and all that comes to the top is stupid. Um, that was free. That wasn't part of the message. Um, you, people, people talk about these people they follow on the internet like they know them. You don't know them. And I fear that a lot of us have relationships with Jesus like you have a relationship with people on Instagram. We don't really know him. What I'm inviting us to do, what, what I'm trying to join with Jesus in inviting us to do is, 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 is engage in this idea that we have been invited back into the spinning swirl of the perichoresis of the Godhead. That you've been invited back into the experience of perfect love, loving perfect love, loving perfect love, loving perfect love, loving perfect love. We call that God. He reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. He is, the scriptures tell us, perfect love, other-centered, self-giving love. You're invited back into that dance. That's what Jesus is offering to us. But as long as we hold dumb ideas about who that is, we will withhold ourselves from that. Jesus comes to break down every wall, every barrier, every veil, every false and erroneous notion we have that says, no, 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 I can't go there. He doesn't want me there. He made you from there. He calls you back to there. Jesus restores your place into the very fabric and family of God. Church, I don't know about you. This is better news than Jesus died for your sins. Don't email me. Jesus died for your sins. But if that's the only news we ever hear, we're denying him the glory that is due his name. Because he did more than just the cross. 
Look, look we're, we're going to spend, we're actually, I'll let the cat out of the bag. We're going to spend all of Christmas this year at the cross. If you look at John, right, where we're going to be, we're going to spend Christmas at the cross. It's an important thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish this, right? Can we please get over this idea that to elevate one thing, you have to diminish another thing? I'm not diminishing the centrality, the importance of the cross. I'm trying to elevate our understanding that there's more than just, hey, I don't have to go to hell anymore. Who's excited that they don't have to go to hell? Who's excited that we get to spend eternity with him? Then get excited because Jesus says you currently exist in eternity. He said knowing him is present now eternal life. You're waiting for eternity. Welcome. You're here. Stop waiting for death to free you into something. Whatever intimacy you believe you will have with God post-mortem, know that you have it now. Unlimited, unhindered, unrestricted, unbounded intimacy with him. Why do we worship the way we do? Because we have unrestricted, unlimited, unhindered, unbounded intimacy with him. That's why. Let, let, me try to, let me try to put this into more individual wording. You are scandalously loved personally by him. You are the specific object of his personal affection. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say it the way one writer said it. You, 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 he is particularly fond of you. See, we, we, we hear, God loves you, and we go, amen. Because we don't believe it. We've heard it enough that it's just become numb to our ears. Hear it fresh and new. He is particularly fond of you. You go, well, uh, not after what I did last night. He is particularly fond of you. And you'll keep doing what you did last night until you learn that he is particularly fond of you. But I, 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 I forgot to pray. He is particularly fond of you. But I looked at that. He is particularly fond of you. But I ate the apple when I wasn't supposed to eat that. He is particularly fond of you. Of you. I drove through McDonald's. He is particularly <laughs> fun. Just listing off sins. Um, it's a food like substance that you ought not to eat. But you put enough salt on something and I'll eat it. Um, come on, come on, come on. He's particularly fond of you. Amen? Amen? Jesus came to be the light to bring that message to us. You struggle to spend time with him, it's because you do not believe he is particularly fond of you. There's still stupid things hiding out in our thinking. Let's stand to our feet. I, I want to I just... I want to make a... a Confession, a proclamation, and an invitation all at the same time. P part of the journey for me um, that the Lord took me on through sabbatical, and, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna level with some of you because some of you come up and ask and talk to me about it. Um, I'm not gonna share a lot of what the Lord did in my own life over sabbatical because I love you. It wasn't for you. I hope you can handle that. But part of Maybe the biggest part of, of what he did in, in me and with me and for me over these 12 weeks away, um, other than curing the eye tick I had for the first four weeks not preaching. Um, <laughs> thank you for praying for my family. They all got extra long speeches from me. Um, part, part of what, what took place was this this wooing I felt the Holy Spirit doing in drawing me back to the idea of being willing to give myself to the exploration of who he is. 
at the cost and the expense of everything else. What, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that the thing that kills relationship is familiarity. I just helped somebody's marriage. <laughs> right? Where we just, we just sort of like take for granted the person that's with us. And so we just kind of think we know everything about them. And do you know the excitement that happens when you learn something new about somebody that you thought you knew really, really well? See, God is an infinite being. And and something we need to recognize here is this, that while it is possible to know God truly, can I say it this way? To know God correctly, it is utterly impossible to know him fully. And what that is, is is not meant to be some sort of like belittling of who we are, but rather it is to excite us to know that the deeper and further we go, come on, the more there is to know. The end of the Chronicles of Narnia, spoiler alert, the end, you've had a hundred years almost to read it. So um, end of the Chronicles of Narnia ends with Narnia coming to a conclusion and Aslan leading people away, leading them into his country, leading them into the reality. And what they realized was that where they were was actually a more real Narnia than the Narnia they were in before. And they said, what are we going to do? And Aslan's response is, we're going to go further up and further in. And the further up and the further in they went, the more real things became. The confession, the invitation, the challenge is this. I believe that God is calling us as a house to be a company of people who have set sail across the seas of religion and rebellion and found redemption on the other side. And the challenge, the invitation, what I'm telling you I'm doing, come on, come on, history buffs, Cortez, we're burning the ships. I'm not going back. We're we're on this side of the ocean now. There's no going back. I'm fully aware, history buffs, that Cortez was an awful person who killed a bunch of innocent people. Stop it. I didn't say burn the ships and go kill innocent people. I'm saying get rid of any opportunity we have to go back to old ways of thinking. Burn the ships. I got no, I got no way back. I got no way to re-enter and re-engage with the stuff that I used to engage with. I'm not interested in, in growing intellectually in my understanding of theoretical ideas about who God is. I want to know him. I want to be lost in the swirl of the perichoresis of the Godhead. And I want to let that do whatever it does to me. I want to I let that change me in any way it needs to change me. And I want I I it to make me do things that I swore I would never do. Say things I swore I would never say. I want to let it disrupt things that I hold sacred and dear. Because I would rather know him in truth than claim that what I know of him is truth. My invitation is, do you want to light your match too? I think this is what we're being called to do. Listen, part of what I got to do over this, those 12 weeks of being gone was get to visit other churches. And there are amazing, awesome churches. And one of the things that I, I got to experience, something I knew but I got to experience is, is God, the reason why we have lots of churches in town is partially because we're too self-centered to get along with people. But also... Because there's lots of ways that God calls his people to be. And I think the way we're being called to be as a people who waste ourselves exploring just how good he is. Who give ourselves to the transformation that happens when we see him as always and only good. And ourselves as beloved of him. We might not be the best organized. We might not have the fanciest stuff. We might not be the, we're certainly not the biggest. But we're going to know him. We're going to give ourselves that. And we're going to see what, listen, 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 listen. We're going to see what that does to us. And here's the part that scares me. We're going to see what that does to the world. Not our good ideas, not our 
fancy strategies, just simply knowing him and being known by him and being nothing but beloved of him. Let's find out what that does to the earth. Let's see how that changes things. Because all the other crap that we have tried has not done a good job of changing anything. So we're going to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Come on. Whether, whether you are here and that response for you is, is as one, come on, who has sailed across the seas of, of redemption and re, or of, of religion and rebellion and found redemption, or whether that's happening to you in this moment. You say, well, I'm in the middle of my rebellion. Guess what? I said it earlier. Jesus can transport boats from the middle of a sea in a storm to the edge in an instant. I'm inviting you to explore the land called redemption. It's yours by birthright because of what he's done. So if you're repenting and believing right now, or if you repented and believed last week, 10 weeks ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, it doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's go exploring. Let's waste our life staring into his eyes. Because I don't think it'll waste anything. We're going to respond through celebration, contemplation, and communion. I, th- I, I, I don't want to... I worry that in presenting the reality of the beauty and the majesty and the awesomeness of this idea of exploring, you'll miss the reality that there's also an abandoning of everything else. So I think it's right to take some time to contemplate and not just respond out of emotion or excitement, but let Holy Spirit do a work inside of us. So we take time as a people to contemplate, to let God do a work. We're also going to celebrate. Come on, you, you are personally, particularly He's particularly fond of you. I think it's worth celebrating his love, amen? I think it's worth getting caught up in the circle dance of God. And yes, we're going to commune. Commune with one another. If you've got something going on in your life that you need God to show up and show off in, come on, it's a relational thing, it's a financial thing, it's a, it's a physical thing, it's an emotional thing, it's a mental thing. We're going to have people that would love to pray with you down over by the cross over here. They just want to show you Jesus. They don't have magic words. They don't have superpowers. They just know Jesus, and they want to be a part of that journey with you going to Jesus and seeing Jesus do amazing things. We believe that when we pray, God hears us. And when God hears us, he responds, which means we believe that when we pray, stuff happens. So I would encourage you, if you have a need, commune with another believer. Let them pray for you. We also commune in the Lord's table where we partake in the elements together. If you're a believer here, if you're on this journey with us, you're welcome to partake in communion. If you're still here and you're still wrestling over, is Jesus really God? And I don't really know. And I'm not sure. And I'm not ready to let go. I'm, I, I still want to kind of hang out in the ocean. I kind of like the waves. I kind of like the rough, I, whatever. Cool. We love you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're hanging out. Keep doing it. But we're not going to ask you to come forward and pretend like you're a Christian and take communion. You can hang out in your seats and just hang out there. We take by a method known as antiquation. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice and partake. The white tables on the edge are gluten-free. If gluten is too spicy for your tummy, those are available for you. We love you. Despite the fact that I'm rude and made fun of you, we do love you. I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. And I want to encourage you to take some time and see if the Holy Spirit might be inviting you the same way he's inviting me to abandon everything in the exploration of who he is. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Jesus, we rejoice in you. Father, we come to you. Abba, we come to you. I I can't speak for all of us here, but I can say for me, Yahweh, I'm burning the ships. I don't want to go back. There's nothing there for me. Further up and further in. that our lives would be spent learning just how good you are and learning just how loved we are in you.
Holy Spirit, I'm asking you would whisper in the ears of your people your particular fondness for them. That they would hear the sweet whisper of your voice in their heart saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not for their, not for their neighbor, not for their kids, not for their spouse, not for somebody else, but for themselves. They would hear that whisper that you would do whatever you need to do, Holy Spirit, to make your love for them real to them in this moment. And they would be caught up, as it were, into the swirling, spinning dance of your love, of who you are. Jesus, we rejoice in you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's respond to the Lord.